0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Thank you, and good morning. And Yes, you may be seated. You figured that out on your own, didn't you? Well, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. If you have a Bible with you today, you may want to open it or turn to it or scroll to it or whatever it is you do to get um, your Bible engaged, we're going to be, uh, we're going to start in John's gospel, uh, the third chapter, and then we're going to make our way uh, over to 1 Corinthians, over to 1 Corinthians. And so what I want to do is, as you're maybe finding your way to to John chapter 3, I want to, I want us to just think for a couple minutes uh, about our Lord Jesus, you know, who's, the one whose birth we celebrate, less than a week. Can you believe it? Christmas is less than a week away. Less than a week, yeah. And uh, we, we get to celebrate that. Now, the Bible, we know, gives him many names. And we think and we talk about those, uh, especially during this time of year, we think about some of the names that the Bible gives Jesus at Christmas. We, we talked about Prince of Peace. We know that he's called in the scripture the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We sang about him being wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, he's the everlasting Father. Over in the Gospels, he's referred to as the bread of life. He's often called the light of the world and many, many more. But I, I want today to add two, these are I, I wouldn't consider these to be biblical names, but I believe they're true. And I'm hoping that you will find agreement with me. Here's, here's another name that I would give to the Lord Jesus. Smartest person ever. Hands down. Smartest person who ever walked this planet. I mean, who else, just through his capacity to think, could rearrange molecules so that water turns into wine? Never happened before, hasn't happened since. Only one person that smart that knew how to do that. Who, who was smart enough to speak to a storm and get it to stop. I don't know anybody else that can do that. I mean, the United States government has been trying for decades to figure out how to control the weather. You know, there was this time when they were seeding clouds thinking they could stop a hurricane. You know, all kinds of stuff. And Jesus just, he's smart enough to know how to talk to a storm and it just stopped. It's incredible. So one of the names I would give to Jesus, smartest person ever. Second name that I would give to Jesus, greatest communicator ever, hands down. He could take the deepest, most complex thoughts about God and uh, about the kingdom of God and he could speak them in a way that I understand them, I get it. That's a big deal, folks, to be able to communicate with with that kind of power. So just thinking about those names of Jesus. And when I think about a great communicator, I always think about somebody who is able to tell a great story. And Jesus was able to tell great stories that drew us into, drew people into the very heart of who God is. And so when I think about who I would love to have tell me the Christmas story... It would be nobody better than Jesus. And guess what? There was a day that Jesus told the Christmas story. Now, he didn't go read the Gospel of Luke. Hadn't been written yet. He didn't go read the Gospel of Matthew. it Hadn't been written yet. I I, I love both of those. Now, some people in our day um, that might decide to tell the Christmas story, hopefully nobody here, but if somebody said, hey, tell me the Christmas story, some people might say, t'was the night before Christmas. You know, that might be the beginning line. Hopefully, if, you know, you're here or uh, maybe someone gathered in another meeting around the world kind of like this today, that maybe you would start kind of like Linus did in the Charlie Brown Christmas. You know how Linus kind of began telling the Christmas story? And there were angels in that same country keeping watch over their flocks by night. Or maybe you would do, I probably would, probably go back a few verses to Luke chapter 2 verse 1, and, and, and start by saying, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and then tell the rest of the Christmas story. But the greatest communicator who ever lived, hands down, smartest person in the world, he was having a conversation in uh, that we can read about in John chapter 3. He was having a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And so if, you're, if you have your Bibles and you want to, turn there with me. I want us to look at John chapter 3 this morning. John 3. And I want us to read two verses that Jesus spoke to this man named Nicodemus. He was, a, I think, a, a fairly new friend uh, of Jesus. And Jesus, telling him the Christmas story, told it this way. For God... So loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. This, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus chose to tell the Christmas story with this as his opening line. It's always important to have a great opening line when you're telling a story. Jesus told to tell his Christmas story this way, for God so loved. God God so loved. And that's what I want us to think about today, is that, what what does that love look like? This love that God so did. And so, just want to give you the big idea for the day. Here's kind of the big idea for the day. That love, the love of God, gave us Jesus, and then Jesus gave us love. He gave us The the love of the Father. God was so compelled by our need, our need for redemption, our need for salvation, that he gave up his only son to be sacrificed to pay a debt we couldn't pay because we're all sinners, separated from God by our sin. And we needed a Savior. And so God sent his son. And that Savior had to not only come and teach us and lead us, but he had to die a sacrificial death for us. Because we had a debt we couldn't pay that could only be paid with an atoning sacrifice. So God gave us Jesus, and then Jesus in turn gave us the love of God through his sacrificial death. He was giving uh, us love, the love of the Father. And so when Jesus opened his version of the Christmas story, that's where he starts. He starts at the beginning, that God so loved. This is In, in Jesus' mind, I believe that's the essence of, of Christmas, and that, that love, that love that God so gave, I believe is a commodity, if you would, if I can call that love a commodity. It's a commodity our world desperately needs today. And I, I hate to have to say it, but we're among friends, so let's just be honest with each other. It's a commodity that the church of Jesus in our world needs desperately today. So I, I think we need to get a good grasp on it if we ever want to be able to, to give it to others. And to do this, uh, I want us to look at God's Word. I want us to look in God's Word at a whole chapter that God used to define and describe and display what the kind of love that God so gave, God so loved, actually looks like. And it's 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bibles, you want to flip over there, go ahead and do that. Um, Here's a news flash. 1 Corinthians 13 can be found between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Now, I know that mystifies some of you. I know that's like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know that." But that is not without purpose. That was not happenstance. It was a divine strategy. It was a divine strategy that that is set for the purpose of uh, living out and communicating kind of a part of God's divine conspiracy at at Christmas and and the kingdom of God. See, here's how 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 kind of line out. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. It's a great introduction to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. And then 1 Corinthians 14 is about the power that comes from spiritual gifts. So when you put 12, 13, and 14 together, what you end up with is this. When you have love, then you'll know how to live in your spiritual gift powerfully. You'll understand what life in the spirit is about if you have love. It will help you on this journey of walking in the Spirit instead of walking by the flesh that the Bible talks so much about. And so this, this chapter is not there accidentally. If if you've done much reading of the Apostle Paul, you'll know that Paul will, he'll be teaching, 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 writing, you know, just on topic. And then all of a sudden, Paul will suddenly kind of go on a rant. He'll just take a you know, hard left turn and he'll he'll go on a rant. And then he'll come back to kind of his purpose. Um, he's not doing this here. This was intentional. It, it, it was perfect. It was pur- purposeful. Um, so let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, if you would, with me. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read uh, most all of this chapter, but we're going to do it in chunks. So let's start in, in verse 1. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noise and gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and then if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I'm reminded of that song that, you know, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. You know, that's, that's kind of what Paul is saying. If you don't have love, it's good for absolutely nothing. And so in these verses, there are some power that gets released in life. Um, What what I think of is is kind of uh, five great understandings about this, this love. That it just points out the greatness of love. So here's the first one when we come to connect with this love that God so loved. God so loved that eventually love became the greatest power. It's the greatest power known on this planet. Again, throughout that passage we just read, it repeated that phrase, but have not love. And then it goes on to make these series of comparisons to some really great things, things that in the church we think, man, these are top shelf, these are top shelf. But when compared to love, it's nothing without love. First off, is uh, love is greater, if you would, than preaching. Greater than proclamation of any kind, greater than any kind of oratory or any speaking that's given. Paul tells us that if I could speak in the languages of all men, if I, if I knew every human language it could, could could speak to anyone, if I could do that, or better yet, if I, if I could speak the heavenly language of angels, if I had that great oratory capacity, if I, if I could speak all those ways, if I could do that but did not have love, it's, not, it's worth nothing. It, it would just be like, um, how many, does anybody here other than me live in Berkeley County? Got a couple of Berkeley County folks. Berkeley County recently passed a noise pollution ordinance. It needed one, and I don't know how you measure noise pollution, but I know that they they've passed this. I know North Charleston has one, but that's kind of what Paul is saying. If you have all of these great oratory skills, if you could do like they say, preach their socks off, you know, if you could do that, but you don't love. It's worthless. It's, it's like noise pollution. It has absolutely no value. There's, there's no good that comes up. It's good for absolutely nothing. Verse 2 goes on to tell us about something else. Another kind of top-shelf Christian ideal, but love is greater than, is prophecy. Love is greater than prophecy. I, I've been privileged, thank God, to serve... Um, in churches uh, for a little over 40 years now. And in that time, one of the things that I've observed is this. If you want to get a crowd together, don't announce that you're going to do some teaching on God's love. Announce that you're going to do some teaching on prophecy. They will come. Because people want to know what... In many ways, they can't really know. They want to know what they think is going to come next. They want to know what's just around the corner. They want to know what's on the other side of the bend. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think that. I think sometimes it's because they live in fear. They live in fear. And, and they're not at a place where they're just able to say, God, I'm trusting that it's going to turn out the way you want it to. I believe you are sovereign, God. I believe it's, just going, to, it's, going, to, it's going to work out. And the Bible says, if you have the greatest gift of prophecy, but do not love, it's worth absolutely nothing. Verse 2 goes on to talk about knowledge. Love is greater than knowledge. You can have a head full of knowledge. You You can know all kinds of things. You may even know some things about prophecy. I've met some people who could explain to you what the third toe on a beast that's rising out of the ocean means. And sometimes they were the most unloving people I've ever met. They had all this knowledge, but they had, they had not love. And so all that knowledge is, is absolutely worthless because God's love is indispensable. It's greater than oratory. It's greater than preaching or prophecy or knowledge. And then we get to To Paul saying something in verse 2 that's like, really? Paul goes on to say that love is greater than faith. It's greater than faith. Now, the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I can't even know God without faith. The Bible says that faith in its smallest quantity could look at a mountain and say, hey, you dude, mountain, jump in the sea. And guess what? Mountain would move. Smallest faith has the capacity to do that. But Paul says, if you have that kind of faith, but you do not have this God-so-loved kind of love, it's it's absolutely worthless. Verse 3 goes on to talk about sacrifice, love being greater than sacrifice. If I give away all that I have, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I can give it all away. King James Version says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, but have not love, it profiteth me not. There's no profit in it for you. There's no value in it for you. You know, right after this service, there's some folks that are gonna gather to pack backpacks that are gonna be delivered to those who find themselves homeless. And God's word says you could run out between now and then, and if you could sell your house, um, we have some realtors that would love to sell a house for you, by the way. Um, If you could sell your house, Uh, and sell your cars, sell all your property, and bring all that money back and and use it to fill those backpacks. If you did that, but you didn't really love the people for whom those are going to be delivered, if you didn't maybe love them enough to maybe engage some of them at some time in your life, that all that giving would be worth nothing. If you didn't love that way, If you didn't see people as people, even though they're struggling right now. And that's why sometimes people give money. They give money because they don't currently have the capacity to love. Have you ever seen somebody who kind of confused expressing love to kids, their own kids, through materialistic ways, instead of giving them themselves, giving them love? They just kind of gave them stuff. Folks, people need more than our charity or our pity or our stuff. They they actually need our our love. Verse 3 goes on and presses this even further. It says love is greater than martyrdom. Verse it, it talks about even if I delivered my body up to be burned, if I if I sacrificed myself, but I didn't love, it has no value. It, no value whatsoever. And friends, there are, there are people who sacrifice their lives for false religions. So we know that if they don't have the love of God, and, and sometimes I think that's why they do it, is because they've never known the love of God, and so it's nothing for them to, to kind of end their lives hoping to end your life. Not because of a love from God or a love for God but an act of fear in living out obedience. See, they don't know a love that God so loved. They don't know that kind of love. Now, please, here's, I'm not saying that we as Christ followers should not be willing to lay down our lives, but I'm convinced that God is looking for people who will not only lay down their lives, but will pick up their lives and live them loving others. Friends, it's easier, I think, to, to sacrifice your life through death than it is to live your life every day sacrificially, loving others. And so if you sacrificed ultimately but, but have not love, it's nothing. See, love, love is the greatest power. It's greater than any other power on earth. Love is also... Uh, another great let's read first Corinthians thirteen starting in verse four. Here we get some specifics. It says, Love is patient and love is kind, and love does not envy or boast and it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And what this part of First Corinthians tells me is that because God so loved that that kind of love became the greatest virtue. And every other human virtue is under love and love flows through it if it's a true virtue. And so we can see the love that God expresses showing up in in all of these other virtues. Uh, The the first one that we see is we can see the love of God in patience. I don't know about you, but um, during the Christmas season, Sometimes my patience gets tested, Uh, especially on Dorchester Road and Latson Road. My patience gets a little bit tested, sometimes on College Park Road where I live. Um, Don't know about you. And so I think we need patience. Now, interestingly enough, when I think of that, when I think, okay, I'm just being a little bit impatient, what the Bible says is love is patient. And so what I really need to to hear is not that I'm not patient, but I'm not loving. See, I I get impatient because I'm loving myself more than I am somebody else who got ahead of me in traffic. Or or cut me off, or did this, or didn't turn the blinker on, or whatever. You know, when, when that happens, what I really need to say to myself is, I'm not just a little impatient. I lack love. I am lacking in love, that's just the truth, because patience really is suffering long for somebody else. It's loving somebody else that way. It's really a lack of love for the other. Paul's definition goes on to say that we can see the love that God gave in gentleness, in verse 4. We we can see it in gentleness. Another word for gentleness is kindness, kindness. Friends, because God so loved, He, he loved in gentleness and in kindness. And friends, that is, those are commodities that we desperately need in our world today. We have forgotten. The church has forgotten. Solomon's statement in Proverbs 15, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. It's almost like we're, you know, we're all going out looking for wrath because we don't want to give a gentle answer when somebody says something we don't like. We want to pounce. We want to jump down somebody's throat. We don't want to show a little common courtesy. Friends, our world is desperate for this, just desperate for this. Our world needs a little gentleness. Our social media needs a little kindness. Our politics needs a, a, a little gentleness being poured into it. And again, just being honest, So do our churches. The church of Jesus needs this. Friends, here's one of the things that kindness does, is kindness will kill the appetite to fight of opponents. It will kill that appetite. That's one of the things kindness does. Next thing we see in this great definition of love is we see the love of God that he gave in contentment. When we are able to live in contentment, uh, Paul writes these words, "Love does not envy." Some translations say, "Love I- is not jealous." And envy and jealousy are just wretched things. There's a reason that envy and jealousy have a, a name in our world. It's called the green-eyed what? It's not the green-eyed fairy. It's the green-eyed monster something horrible and something wretched is because that's the truth about, about envy and, and, and jealousy. See, when we experience this God-so-loved kind of love that came at, at Christmas, then you don't get worked up when somebody who did something well gets credit for it. You don't, you don't get concerned that, Somebody is getting praise and maybe you're not at the moment. You, you don't think that somebody else's gain is somehow going to be, you know, your loss. You don't, you don't cringe when you're not the one being, we, being praised. That's a God-so-loved kind of love. Another kind of love that we see expressed in this God-so-love, we see the love God gave in humility, in humility. Scripture tells us that love isn't boastful. Some translations say it's it's not arrogant. My favorite translation on that verse is, or that phrase is King James. It says, "Love is not puffed up." You ever you ever seen somebody who is puffed up with their own you know self pride? They just 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 get so puffed up. Here's here's just a truth that I've experienced personally and seen in others, you can't have love and pride lasting very long in the same heart. They won't won't co-mingle very long. Because true love is is humble. True True love is able to say, I am sorry. Or even more difficult, I was wrong. Or I forgive you, or will you forgive me? Love is humble. It's not not arrogant in that way. True love can say those things. And that kind of love leads to another way that we see what God gave in his love, and it's civility, the ability to be civil towards one another. Paul writes it this way. He says, love is not rude. Some translations say it doesn't act unseemly. It's not ill-mannered, if you would. Um, have you ever heard anybody just say, well, I just say it like it is. You ever, you, ever, you ever said that, maybe? I just call them like I see them. Or if we go, you know, if we covered it in Christianese, we, we might say something like, I speak forthrightly because I have the gift of prophecy. I just proclaim the truth. Friends, don't don't ever excuse your rudeness under the guise that somehow you're being prophetic because you'll be judged by Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, it's not in your notes, it's not going to come up on the screen, you can write it down. But 1 Corinthians 14, 3 tells us this. The one who prophesies, strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. It it doesn't say that you browbeat them or that you disparage them or that you discourage them. And so many people who think they have the gift of prophecy, that's how it comes out. They're more a point of division than a person of peace. It it lacks all, all humility. It lacks all civility. Another way that... God, that so loved, gave love to us is through selflessness. In verse 5, it tells us love does not insist or doesn't demand its own way. It's not not a me first always, me first. It's not always self absorbed. It's not every conversation somehow has to become about me. Now, it's, it's not. A kind of life that thinks less of themselves. It's not somebody who, who, who belittles themselves. But it is somebody, you've heard this before, it is somebody who begins to think less about themselves, less often. And more often thinks about the needs of others. And then we see in this great definition of love, we see the love that God gave. We see it in, in restraint. In restraint, in personal restraint. Personal self-control. The Bible says that love is not easily provoked. In other words, it's even-tempered. It doesn't have this hair trigger. It doesn't fly off the handle. I remember hearing a sermon one time, and it talked about um, that there is no earthly vice. Uh, There's no worldly pleasure that you can give in to. There's There's no level of greed. Not even public drunkenness does more to harm Christianity than a quick temper, than a short fuse. See, real love shows restraint. It's actually great, great power. Then at the end of verse 5, we see that in this love that God gave, we see mercy. The Bible says love is not resentful. It's not resentful. Uh, Some translations say it doesn't keep a a record of, of wrongs. There are, have you ever met people who think they're the accountant for the naughty list? You know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they, they keep up with your sin. Not just the sin you sin against them, but any sin. They just, they just are walking around, looking at you, watching you, you know, checking that list. And they don't, they don't look for the nice, they just look for the naughty. That's, that's all they're interested in. Friends, love doesn't hold a grudge, a, a heart that is filled with resentment, a heart that's filled with grudges, cannot have space to experience God's forgiveness. You'll never experience the full forgiveness of God if what you're doing is walking around with a heart filled with with unforgiveness. See, one of the things that love begets is love begets mercy. God so loved that mercy was born. Grace was, was born at Christmas. God so loved that the love that he gave, we see it show up also in justice. Paul's definition says that it does not rejoice, that, that, that love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in truth. It doesn't rejoice in injustice. In you never, love will never get to the place where what happens is you have this little private heart party when that person that you didn't like gets their just desserts. You don't celebrate that kind of thing when somebody's life comes crashing down that you think, yeah, they deserve that. There, there's no, no place in a heart that celebrates when, when, when evil when unrighteousness, when pain and sorrow comes to somebody else, but when truth gets lifted up, when righteousness gets lifted up, it celebrates. See, because God so loved, because God so loved, love became the greatest power, it became the greatest virtue, but it also became something else. Look back, if you would, at verse verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 7. It says this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I love the way the New Living Translation translates this. It says love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. So because God so loved... Love became our greatest victory. It, it became the greatest victory that we can experience in this life. See, love is a victorious love because it puts up with anything. Thank God for that. That God puts up with you. That God puts up with me. That God gives us the capacity to put up with, with, with one another. It it never stops. See, that this love is loyal to the end. This love trusts God always. It always is looking out, looking for, for the best in others. And it just keeps going. It never stops. It never stops believing. This love never stops hoping. It never starts, stops holding on or, or holding out hope for that person that you think they'll never change. See, love is the greatest victory, and it goes into eternity, and it grows eternally. It never fails. Never. It never, ever fails. But look at what does fail. Look at verse 8. It says, love never ends, never fails. As for prophecies, they will. They'll pass away. As for tongues, those things will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For now, we know in part. Just a little bit. And we prophesy, in part, just a little bit. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When it's all been said and done, when everything else is, is gone, when everything else kind of gets knocked out, love will be left standing. True love, the kind of love that God so loved, will, will still be there. And it'll last forever. You know, all these other things will that we get all puffed up about, you know? Uh, again, back to prophecy. I know it sounds like I'm beating the, that, that horse, but we, we don't know everything about what's going to happen. Did you know in, in Revelation chapter 10, John is about, you know, he's writing this revelation down that the angel told him to write down, and he's seeing all these incredible things, the revelation, and he's, he starts to write something down in chapter 10, and the angel says, Stop. Do not write that, John. Seal that up till the end. There are things about the way things are going to end that we don't know. That we have to trust God for. And so we only have partial knowledge. We only have partial insight. We only have partial prophecy. But we act like sometimes, especially, especially Christians, we act like we know it all. That that we've we've got it all together. That we understand all the, 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 the intimate details. We don't even know, according to the scriptures, we don't even know what life's gonna be like for us completely. Look at first John 3 2. It said, Beloved, we are God's children now. You can know that you're a child of God now if you've trusted Jesus. You you can know that. We're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We haven't seen what we're going to be completely. We know it's going to be something like Jesus, but we don't know it perfectly. Have you ever met a child who may have asked you a theological question that you couldn't answer? Maybe a preschooler even? See, little children can ask questions that are profound that we don't have answers to. I don't care, you know, how many theological degrees you have and how long you've been teaching seminary. There's just some things that we don't know, that we can't understand. And it's time as Christ followers that we just say that's true. There's some mystery that we don't understand, that we would have that kind of humility. Even about some of the things we can know, we need to live in a little more humility we can know this, God so loved. He loved us with these great descriptions that Paul has given us and that we, can, that we can live in. And so love is the most important thing. Love is more important than education. It's more important than ability. You know, It's more important than, than money. It's more important than good luck. Somebody would say, well, obviously. Love is more important than good health. It's, it, it's more important than anything because all of those things are going to pass away. That's why for me, the thing that I would want people to know about River Bluff Church, about our church, is that we love. Not that we have, you know, the greatest worship music or the greatest kids program or student ministry program or great teaching ministries or great anything else. Just simply that we would be known as that that little church up off of Dorchester Road. That just radically loves people. Just, j- just loves people. That when somebody walks into the, the, uh, this service for the first time. That they would say, you know what? There's a lot they don't have going on. But it seems like they love each other. And it seems like they even love outsiders. That we would be known for our love. I just, that's one of my regular prayers for our church. Is that we would, we would be known that, that way. For God so loved... That love became the greatest power, became the greatest virtue, it became the greatest victory. And then Jesus told us that it became the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. Again, look at these words from Jesus. These are, these are words that uttered those God so loved words. He also said this in Matthew 22. You shall love the, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments in God's word, what's the greatest? Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. Jesus wasn't letting this slip off. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said love, loving God and loving others. That's the greatest commandment. It's not gonna come up on the screen. You can go back and look it up later, but verse 40 right after that in Matthew 22 goes on to say, Jesus says on these two commandments, those two love commandments, hang all, or depend, some translations say depend, all the law and the prophets. All of the, all of the teaching of the Old Testament hinges on this command to love. Everything that's taught there hinges on love. If you get love right, you'll fulfill all the other commandments. So if, if love is the greatest commandment, what, what would you imagine would be the greatest sin? Failing to love, not 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 loving. See, for God, so loved that He He gave love. And that love became the greatest power. It became the greatest virtue and the greatest victory and the greatest commandment. But it also needs to become for us our greatest motivation. Love needs to become our greatest motivation. And Jesus tells us why. Why love needs to become the greatest motivation of the heart of Christ followers. John 13, 35 says this, your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The way that you love, the way that we love each other puts the love of God that for God so loved it puts that love on display. It convinces people that there is something more powerful than, than just life on this planet. That there is something extraordinary that can happen when you have a relationship with somebody else rooted in the love of God found only in Jesus. For God so loved. He, he, he just so loved that we could love one another deeply. Friends, this is why it is so so, so important that as Christ followers, we don't divide over details. We don't divide over little minutia that doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. It's why we need to love constantly and that we would love sacrificially. That we would, we would lift Jesus up because there is no way, no way, that we can simultaneously lift Jesus up And constantly carrying around a a, a grudge against our brother and sister. We can't can't do both of those things. So we're called to love one another. And and what that means is I'll take take an insult from a brother or sister. I'll drown it in a river of love. I'll I'll, I'll take criticism. I'll take take an offense when it comes. And I'll I'll drown it in a, a, a river of love. So that Jesus can be lifted up. And, and that means that we, we, have to, we have to show love even to those who may right now look unlovely to us. You seen any Christians out there not looking lovely lately? Maybe acting in ways that are unloving towards each other? I mean, it, it, it's just an, an incredible. And, and friends... See, real love is not giving one another what, what we deserve. Real love is giving each other what that other person needs. That's what real love does. It's saying, you know what, I'm going to do good to you regardless of what you do to me. I'm going to love you that way. I'm going to give you what you need. See, love, love needs to become our, our greatest motivation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, amplified version tells us this that the love of Christ, it needs to, it needs to be our motivation so much so that it controls us, it urges us, and it impels us. I mean, that that is a great motivation. See, God's so loved that the expression of his love given to us through Jesus at Christmas should become our great motivation for, for getting up in the morning. To to just get up in the morning for, for God so loved, I ought to be motivated to get up and, and, and go love others. Go loved others. D- does anybody remember that great hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? You remember anybody remember that? This just a, a great hymn. One of the closing lines in this hymn, that hymn says this about this God love that God so loved. It says, love so amazing so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. My soul, my life, it it, it should be the greatest motivator. You know, when Jesus, after being raised from the dead, he had a few moments alone beside the sea with the Apostle Peter, and while he was with Peter in those moments, he, he asked the Apostle Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And that went on three times. There was this exchange. And, and what Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, I, I want all of you. I want you to be all in. I, I want love for me to motivate you to step out beyond what may go on with these other guys. I want your love to me to, to motivate you to feed in environments that are going to be difficult and, and hard. Do you love me, Peter? Is that, is that, is that your life motivation? Because if, if the love of God flowing through you becomes your life motivation, then the last great thing that it will become is it will become your life's greatest affirmation. It'll be, that love will be the greatest affirmation. See, God's word makes this incredible link to love flowing out of us, knowing that we're loving, and our capacity to be certainly confident of our own salvation. It's one of the things that scripture says in 1 John 3 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death, out of death, into life. And here's how you can know it because we love the brothers. It includes you sisters too, okay? Uh, the sisters too. Whoever does not love abides in death. If, if love for others is not what's flowing out of you, then here's what's going to happen. You may be saved, but the accuser is going to come and he's going to eat your lunch. And you're going to constantly live in fear and you're gonna constantly doubt your salvation and you're just gonna be beaten down and beaten up by the enemy, because when you are loving when you are living in that God so loved and when you were living out that love that God so loved the bible says that it will it will prove to you that you have passed from death to life from death to life you know do you love brothers and sisters who don't talk like you and act like you and think like you and vote like you on everything do they have to be just like you or it's, you dispose of them? That you have a disposable kind of love. If you do, you don't have love. Love is devoted. It's not disposable. It's, it's a love of, of devotion. See, God so loved was not a disposable love. It was a love that was devoted. He, he, he loved. And so if love will become your greatest motivation, it will become your greatest affirmation that you have passed from death to life. You can know that with great confidence if you know the love of Christ. So at Christmas, the thing that we need to do in this season, the season that we call Advent, the season where we look at Christ's first coming and we live with anticipation of his second coming. If, if love is our greatest motivation, it will also be our greatest affirmation that Jesus is who he said he was, that he has done what he said he would do, and that he is coming again. Let love be your greatest motivation. Let's pray. Lord, we we come in this moment giving thanks that you so loved, that you so loved us, that you loved us first, that your love was so great and so vast that it overcame our sin condition. You didn't overlook it, God, you overcame it. And we come giving thanks. We come being drawn into that great love that gave us Jesus. And Jesus, we, we pause for a moment to say thank you again. Thank you that in being given to us, you turned and gave us ultimate love through your sacrificial death. And maybe, maybe I don't know everybody in the room today, maybe you're here today And you've never personally experienced this love that Jesus talked about when he talked about Christmas. That love that God so loved. That love that was sacrificial ultimately. That love that paid a penalty that you couldn't pay. So that you could have life that you couldn't have without him. And so we just thank you, Jesus. And maybe maybe if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, the Bible says that if you come to a place where you will believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he died that death on the cross to pay for your sin, that he was raised from death, that you might have eternal life. If you would trust God, that he will give that gift to you. That's what he came to do. That's what Christmas is about. Most of us, here just need to review our lives. We need to look back and see what aspect of love have we let kind of fall away. What aspect of that great love are we not allowing to find traction in our own souls? And We need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to ask God for strength. Maybe that our love would be more merciful, or more patient, or more kind, or more humble. Maybe that's what we need to do, is just go to God and say, God, I agree that this morning, Lord, you just nailed me right there. You showed me, you opened my eyes that I've not so loved, that I've loved disposably instead of devotedly. So God, we come in this moment to give thanks. We give thanks of the miracle of love That is Jesus. We give thanks for the miracle of love that you have given to us at Christmas. We give thanks for the miracle that you would first love us while we were still sinners, that you would give Jesus. And so we just want to close our time this morning, Lord, celebrating your goodness, celebrating that miracle of love found in you. Thank you, God, that you so loved